Night and day, you are the one. Only you, beneath the moon and under the sun. Whether near to me or far, it's no matter, baby, where you are. I think of you night and day. <laughs> Thanks for the offer. Welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey and Mash. I am Chris Pullman. And I am the one not singing, Gloria Ackerman. <laughs> this week we will be talking about three episodes because apparently season eight has 25 rather than 24 episodes. We will be talking about season eight, episode 23, War Correspondent, 24, Back Pay, and 25, April Fools. Uh, I would like to... Give a quick shout out and thanks to uh, Gloria's husband Jody for helping find a little bit of baseball trivia for this uh, first episode war correspondent. We'll talk about that when we get to it. There is a lot of things to look up into this episode because yeah. there's just a lot of facts spewed out. Because well, it's, the episode begins with an ambulance pulling up and a lady holding one of the um, soldiers' hands and a course uh hawkeye runs up to the lady you know are you someone i should know about and already starts flirting with her mm -hmm. and she says she's aggie o'shea she's reporting on the war so she's kind of following this uh you know these people on the front and um reporting on it and she's quite famous she um everyone knows who she is and all of her work Hawkeye throughout this episode chases her and of course she gets a huge crush on BJ because who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> sorry, that's uh, just my... Not me. <laughs> just... Um, so it's all about how Angie O'Shea... Aggie. Inter Aggie, sorry. O'Shea interacts with Hawkeye, with BJ, with Margaret. Um, a lot of different angles and she actually talks about a few things she's written and which is what um, Chris was looking up a lot of great things um, talked a little bit about gossiping and what's happening between BJ and Aggie so some gossip went on and um, we'll talk about that and that's pretty much it was there a second story I'm just trying to it's, it's basically that was the whole story there wasn't really a second one I think you're right so, but there's so much in this particular one. It involves everyone. So, um, that's basically the gist of it. Now let's get into the specifics. Yeah. Um, so, Reason started out with Night and Day, which may not have been the original lyrics. No, I think that those were yeah. uh, Frank Sinatra. The... The PA announcer actually starts this episode just saying, night and day, you're the one, uh, whether New Year's term, something like, I don't remember exactly which lyrics, which stanza he used, but uh, like, whether near to me or far, it's no matter, baby, where you are, incoming wounded, and then you see uh, an ambulance bus come in, and on the bus, there, uh, BJ and Hawkeye are starting to do triage, and there is what appears, what could appear to be a soldier 
from one angle, and then BJ gets up next to her, and it's Maggie O'Shea. Holding the hand of one of the soldiers. Scotty. Promised to hold his hand. They all loved her. Private Scott. Well, Scotty here was really afraid, and I said I wouldn't let his hand go until he got into the operating room, and I'm going to keep that promise. And they helped him keep her keep the promise. So yep. they didn't say, nope, you get out of my way. You know, yeah. like I think a lot would. They said, great, you know, thank mm-hmm. you for doing that for the soldiers. Yeah. So, yeah, she was just a war correspondent assigned to this infantry unit. Uh, after OR, they were in the mess tent with her, just kind of chatting her up because everybody knew her as a war correspondent. And she uh, said that she was assigned there where she became a cross between a mascot and a den mother to these soldiers. And you, you see that through um, Scott's, Private Scott's eyes, where uh, later in the episode, he's talking to BJ, and he's like, hey, we care about her. You, I just wanted to make sure that you're treating her right. Right. So she's just a very lovable character, though. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. actually, she's been in many things, Jill St. John, and anything she's ever in, she just has... I. I always see her as that personality, Mm. Um, just a nice person. But everyone was kind of like sucking up to her because she was a celebrity where she was saying, hey, no, I'm not the celebrity. You are. You're you're the heroes. You're the heroes. Let me give you something to say thank you for all you do. What do you Mm -hmm. want? If you could have one thing, what do you want? I love Pierce's response. Um, All right, but you're going to have an awful hard time sticking all those stamps onto the geisha girl. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she said something maybe a little more realistic, and then he went with the 12-year-old bottle of scotch. Yeah. And uh, Margaret, you know, after, you know, she really did do some convincing. They're Mm -hmm. all like, no, the work is thanks enough. They're all, because that's not who they are, where they need stuff. But then after talking to them, Margaret said, well, of course, I'll take some bath salts. And BJ wanted a peanut butter sandwich. She's like, no, you got to have more than that. Okay, make it peanut butter and jelly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, they didn't ask for much. No. Well, except Pierce, who wanted his Yeah, oh my. After I found out how much scotch is recently, I'm like, okay, I have a new respect for scotch. Mm -hmm. For good scotch? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know Mm -hmm. that it was so pricey. Yeah. So, I mean, and at the end, she does end up getting everyone what they wanted. Yeah. Um, and Pierce is going after her. Big hard. time. Hard, hard, hard. And she really, I think, handles it well. Like, she never outright says, no, you're not my type. Like, yeah, like yeah. Well, she, she, she very skillfully right. keeps just deflecting him. Yes, but she never, she was never rude to him. No, I She agree. was, I thought she handled the whole Pierce situation. Because sometimes when he chases a yeah. woman like that, I want to punch him. Yeah. You no. know, because he's just so. She handled it. As skillfully, yes, she handled, she tactfully uh, put Pierce aside as skillfully as she was going after BJ. Oh, and she was going after BJ hard the same way Mm -hmm. Hawkeye was going after her. Yeah, but she did it with, like you say, with more tact, with more grace. Yeah, she let him know that she was available to him Mm -hmm. without pushing him into something he didn't want to do. Yeah. In fact, one of my favorite lines I wrote down, he gave this speech on living for now, how everyone should live for now. We should Mm -hmm. all live for now. But I have to live for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I have this, did he call it an umbilical cord? 
No, that was what they used with Frank. I have this... Life vest. Is that where he used yeah, the life, life vest? Yeah, life ring. Yeah, because later that she... anchors me back to Mill Valley. And it's, it's Peg that keeps me sane in the middle of all this insanity. And I can't give that up. And, and we, we've seen this in another episode, you know, yeah. where he struggles because he is, I mean, if I had to pick one of those guys to go after, I'd go after PJ. He's a good looking guy yeah. with morals and, but I think his Family. morals yeah. are what make him attractive. His mm-hmm. love for his wife and his love for his family, mm-hmm. you know, some that's what people are in search of, that devotion, mm-hmm. you know, that he has makes him that much more attractive yeah no he is like, you know, like hawkeye says in the episode where he does cheat the one time in the series um hawkeye refers to bj as the most devoted family man um you know the basically the pinnacle of devotion to his wife and we see that again here is bj you know he confesses to hawkeye i i can't stop thinking about her i don't just want to be in bed with her i want to be be with with her her. it's not about just sexual attraction it's Mm -hmm. about emotional attraction yeah she is just a wonderful nice person i i and i can see that you know i love laura (laughs) and i would never do anything but i like you were saying bj i i get aggy because there's there is something there where it's like gosh you're just a caring, giving person. Well, and there's but the same there's as, a confidence there too, right. and a, an assuredness about herself. But I think that's what BJ has also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they both have that. You mm-hmm. can see them together. She has yeah. a knowledge too. She's very intelligent. Yes. You know, because like I would never see BJ being attracted to the you know dumb blonde cheerleader type. You know, yeah. he needs that kind of someone mm-hmm. that can have a conversation and she can have a conversation basically about anything yeah because we learned she worked that. with you know she was at when the queen was being coronated and she yeah. was which we'll we'll get to you we'll can, get to all of that because all these things that she said i looked up to see when did this occur did it occur because she began with silly do you want to say it now we um yeah. sure yeah we yeah. can go through it because yeah after um Okay, well, let's work up to that. Okay. First, they're in the mess tent, where they're requesting all this stuff. When Aggie asks, what would you like? All right. Then they're in post-op, uh, uh, and Hawkeye <laughs> ride, casually rides a bicycle into post-op <laughs> and says, do you want to play doctor on it? Uh, and he's getting, he's jealous of the attention that BJ is getting from Aggie. Um, but, uh... Pierce brings up that Aggie is an artist and that Potter's an artist because he's there too and gosh you should show each other what you have and so they're in Potter's office and talking and it you know Aggie says oh you're very good have you ever done anything of BJ yeah every question every time she runs into someone she asks about BJ mm-hmm. she had yeah. a long conversation with Margaret they, yeah she builds rapport and then she uses that to try Get and to know BJ better. yeah um, but then they end up in the O Club, okay. BJ and, and Aggie. And because uh, she wanted, she had, uh, BJ had promised her an interview. 
Okay, so we're in the old club and they're talking. And uh, he asks her, what about you? And so she starts reciting her, uh, like her curriculum vitae, her resume. Biography. And um, her biography. And yeah, she starts with Silly Putty. When Silly Putty was invented in 49, I was there to write a piece. Um, Silly Putty was originally invented in 1943, but then it got big in 1949. Oh, okay. So, uh... That that sings up pretty well. Um, we all know Silly Putty. Uh, I guess, by the way, some fun facts about Silly Putty. <laughs> a, apparently, and I'm going to have to try this now, <laughs> Silly Putty makes a great fire starter as it burns fairly easily and slowly. <laughs> as well. Oh, gosh, don't and, give him fiery. <laughs> and gets white hot. <laughs> um, also, uh, I guess that astronauts have used it in space because it sticks and it holds things really well also it dissolves in alcohol so tip oh. pro tip if you ever get silly putty stuck on your hand in hair use alcohol or wd-40 to dissolve it and it will come out okay. pro tips <laughs> but yeah 19 1949 is when it got big uh she mentioned uh she was there when Sugar Ray beat uh, uh, Jack Lamont. Uh, Lamada. Okay, so yes, that happened in, on St. Valentine's Day in 1951. So were there two different Sugar Rays? Because I remember Sugar Ray Leonard. That uh, can't be him because he's uh, still around. And de well? Oh no, and he was black. This guy clearly isn't. Yeah, uh, let's see here. What does it say in this article? Uh, Lamada, now 94, has retold his version of events over and over. This was as of last year. But, yeah, uh, I don't I don't no, see his last name. Sugar Ray Leonard. I can tell Sugar you Ray Robinson. Okay. Jack Lamada, Sugar Ray Robinson. I do love boxing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, this is right up your alley. Um, they had met six times previously... Uh, Sugar uh, Lamada said, I fought Sugar Ray so often I almost got diabetes. <laughs> and this was their last time meeting. Lamada had the middleweight title, and uh, the, the fight was ended in the 13th round, and Sugar Ray beat him. So basically, uh, I, I think Aggie's a little anachronistic because she said she was there for Silly Putty in 1949 where she became a, a peace writer and then because she was there for Sugar Ray Beats Jack LaMotta she became a sports writer uh, I know and then uh, BJ said oh, who knows nothing about sports right and she says oh really ask me anything so he says who's Bobby Thompson and she didn't really answer who's Bobby Thompson uh, he was an American professional baseball player Outfield, outfielder, right-handed batter for the New York Giants, Milwaukee Braves. So for the for the time period we're looking for, looking at though for the New York Giants, she said that Bobby Thompson was the Dick Sisler of '51, and BJ just kind of looks at her and she says Dick Sisler, the year prior, so 1950, 50. hit the homer 
It was a three-run homer to put the Phillies in the World Series. Look how much information you gain when you listen to us. <laughs> so again, thank you. I like how I thank put you, the jo- us in there. Yeah, thank you, Jody, for helping us figure out who Dick Sisler was, because I would never have spelled his last name that way, and Jody texted me perfectly. But yeah, Dick Sisler hit a homer to put the Phillies in the World Series in 1950, uh, and then... Uh, apparently, I'm guessing Bobby Thompson did the same for the Giants in '51. Okay, but that was 1950. So uh, she says, Aggie says, "Silly Putty," Sugar Ray, which was 1951, and then she mentions about um, about Bobby Thompson. So that's, I guess, that would have been okay. Uh, then she kind of pauses in her recitation and says, uh, BJ says, well, you do know a lot. And she says, yeah, I'm a regular Red Barber. Red Barber was an American sports commentator, nicknamed Old Redhead, primarily identified with radio broadcasts of MLB, calling play-by-play for the Cincinnati Reds, Brooklyn Dodgers, and New York Yankees from 19... So the Dodgers... uh, 39 to 53 and Yankees 54 to 66 so they would have known him from the Dodgers so he was around and then uh, she says I'm really in the catbird seat neither of us knew what the catbird seat was never heard of it this all happened in about two minutes so I I put down a lot and I had to know them catbird seat American English idiomatic phrase used to describe an enviable position Oh. Often in terms of having the upper hand or greater advantage. Okay. So she's saying that she, that she yeah, she knew a lot. She was in the catbird seat. She was driving the conversation. And um and I then she goes on to say that uh, also uh, to keep going with her uh, curriculum curriculum vitae, her biography. She was there when King George died, which would have been Jan. Uh, let's see here, uh, January, February, nineteen fifty-two. Also, keep in mind this is dating this episode in the timeline of the actual Korean War, so we are now after nineteen fifty-two. And then she got assigned to Korea, and now she's a war correspondent. Okay, so let's just quickly run through that again. She covered Silly Putty in 1949. Sugar Ray beats Jack LaMonda in 51, I think I said. Uh, She knew who Bobby Thompson and Dick Sisler were, 50-51. George VI dies in England in 52, and she covered the ascension of Elizabeth II, and then she was assigned to Korea. So we are somewhere 1952. Okay. Uh... But during that exchange with BJ, she also stops at one point and says, Can I be uh, uh, frank with you? You haven't made anything remotely resembling a pass, despite all the openings I've given you. And BJ just kind of... He says, I'm about three feet over my head right now. And then Aggie, what does she basically say? She's like, I just want you to know. I'm very interested. 
and I'll be in Margaret's tent. And she walks out. Uh, next, uh, that night, she's talking with Margaret and asks if there's much camaraderie. And between... brings up Hawkeye first, which, mm -hmm. you know, it was her way of well, getting there. Well, because Margaret says, as long as it's discreet, and Aggie says, oh. Like Hawkeye? Like, yeah, like Pierce. Ugh. Pierce is a special case. <laughs> um, but yeah, And Mar then BJ, she said, never. I put all yeah. capitals, because mm -hmm. never. Yeah. But we, never say never in we, this world. We know the once, but I think only BJ and Hawkeye know of the once. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then the next morning, BJ and Charles come out of the swamp. Aggie's kind of sketching the mountains of Southern California. I mean, Korea. <laughs> I mean, Korea. I meant Korea. It's amazing how the two look so alike. Uh, and, uh, like, she's posing BJ and... Winchester stands right in front as yeah. just assuming he would be the one mm -hmm. that she would want to paint. But, but then she's like, no, no, I meant BJ. And then she helps him kind of lean on a, on a part of the swamp oh. tent. And, uh, her hair is right underneath BJ's nose. See? And he goes, that's not fair. Your hair smells amazing. I washed it last night. I couldn't help it. I couldn't sleep. How about you? Oh, I slept like a rock. And then Pierce comes around. And uh, he tries to interject himself in the in the sketch. And uh, then he asks Aggie, how did you sleep? This guy was up all night pacing. Hmm. And Aggie says, oh, I slept like a rock. <laughs> um, I kind of... Um, and then she did sketch, and she sketched mm -hmm. BJ in there, but... What happened a little bit before that is people were gossiping kind of about, um, I think it happened right before that. Right? I think it happened right after that. Oh, did I have it? I think it happened I right after before, because they all, like, they all made it into the mess tent. Okay. He was being sketched. Oh, yes. So they were all in the mess tent, Father Mulcahy and Hawkeye and Margaret, and they were all just a little bit kind of guessing yeah clinger. I, they were gossiping yeah clinger there are three ways i see this one not yet but any moment now two the or what is it, it it's not going to happen two any moment now but not yet and three the champagne glasses have been thrown into the fire there are fireworks and waves are crashing <laughs> on the shore and then my favorite line from Father Mulcahy, because I've never heard this before. Have you? He was kind of saying, stop gossiping. You know, we don't know who was pitching woo. <laughs> pitching woo? What the heck? I'm still trying to figure out what pitching woo. But the part I love, I actually liked Pierce's line. I can't stand all of this gossip when I'm not in it. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. And BJ walked in and was quite upset. And, well, first of all, everybody's laughing and then they stop and he goes, Oh, don't stop, stop laughing on, on my account. Unless it is on my account, which it clearly was. I'll just excuse myself now and he walks out. And um But at, then he was needing surgery right Yeah, away. And Hawkeye goes to help him. At some point in there he was checking on Scotty because Pierce had put uh, a needle into his, into the sack around his heart to drain off fluid because he he had a bleeder in in that sack. Um, they drained the fluid, but he still wasn't doing well, and that's why they went to surgery. But Scotty said to him, you know, he he was talking to to BJ about Aggie, and he said we all just are very protective of her. 
Right. And BJ basically basically said, I haven't done anything I don't intend to. And Scotty just said, all right, you're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, go for it. Go we for just it. want to make sure. That she doesn't get hurt. Yeah. Um, but then, um, you know, BJ did say to Hawkeye, okay, I can, this kind of help I can use. Because he with, just caught the them surgery. all gossiping. So yeah. with the surgery, this kind of help I can use. And mm -hmm. Hawkeye's just trying to be a friend. He's like, talk to me. Tell yeah. me. I can clearly I, see yeah. what's uh, happening. But and, tell me, what are you feeling? And and he uh, uh, implies, or he, he make, makes an allusion to, you know, you, you messed up once before, fine. But... It's Aggie. Come on. Why not? And um, and that's when BJ says, I'm not just thinking about being in bed with Aggie. I'm right. Being with her. I and just being with her. And, and she just, it was just so romantic. And, and, and then in surgery, I think Hawkeye says what BJ needed. At first, BJ thought Hawkeye was talking about him and Aggie. But then he says, just think about this. Would Scotty and Aggie have meant, met in the normal world you know she would have been some big new york Times journalist right and he'd be nobody and directly after that we see bj talking to aggie and he says that everything he does everything everything is the war i dress because of the war i, I eat, eat because of the war i work because of the war everything is because of this damn war and i have this one this one lifeline the stability in my life that's dictated by the war and it's peg back in mill valley and i can't give that up and aggie just says okay yeah i get that and then they gave a hug that you can almost i don't know about yeah. you yeah but as he hugged her it was it was the most passionate hug but not yeah, I don't no, even it, know how to say it. Like I felt the hug. It, it was it was very full of emotion and love, but not sexual. Lust. Yes, yeah. no not lust. lust. Yes, just a very, very goodbye. Mm -hmm. I thank you for giving me this yeah. discussion and yeah. this yeah in my life. Yeah, I needed it, but yeah. goodbye. Yeah, and I like the post commercial scene, which is uh, the four double seventh. The, the senior staff, yeah, getting their care package, you know. Hawkeye gets his bottle of 12-year-old scotch. Margaret gets some bars of soap, of pure I think it was soap. bath salts. It was soap. It was soap? Okay. It was soap. Where would she have a bath? I don't know. It was okay. soap. All right. Um, and and uh, BJ gets a jar of peanut butter and a jar of jelly with a knife taped to it. And... Colonel Potter gets an Aggie O'Shea original, a sketch, and what was it? BJ in a lifesaver vest mm. with that, you know, with Korean California background. Yeah, and what did it say on the lifesaver? What's a lifesaver? SS Mill oh, Valley. Mill Valley. Oh, yes, it did. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Potter Another. just looks at BJ and says, what what's the lifesaver about? And BJ just goes, I don't know. SS Mill Valley. Okay, I didn't realize it. Yep. I yep. thought it's a lifesaver. I didn't no. read it. So. SS Mill Valley. That's cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Makes that actual sense now. Mm hmm. Yeah, very informative. Although, 
you know, when you're watching, you wouldn't think there was that much to talk about. But I could probably go on for another hour on just this episode. Mm-hmm. It was there was just so much, yeah, packed in here. And it was like we didn't even talk about Winchester. Mm. <laughs> like he's just so arrogant, but yeah. in a loving way. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't a very Winchester heavy episode. No. It was definitely a BJ episode, which was nice to see. Right. With Pierce trying to weasel his way in, like he does. Um, I I really like it. It's definitely a must-see. It's not in my top ten, but I think it's one of those where you should watch it. Yes. You know, it's not It's not a keystone to the plot of MASH the series. But it's a great BJ one. So yeah. if, you, if you love BJ like I do, you'll want to watch this one. And he, and he doesn't have many. The, the no. other one, uh, season five, Hanky Panky, is where... He has his moment of infidelity. The other one that Margaret doesn't know about, but Pierce makes an allusion to. That's when that happens. Those are important BJ episodes, because we don't get a lot. Mm-mm. You know, uh, when he comes in, fade in, fade out. Uh, season four. Season five, Hanky Panky. And here, season eight. And other than that, if it's a BJ one, it's usually practical jokes. Yeah. Because he yeah. does mm-hmm. wonderful practical jokes that yeah. he doesn't like to take credit for. But yeah gives other people credit for and, doing it and we'll see that in just a bit yeah but yeah it it um it's a really great bj episode fun facts uh, other than those uh written directed and starring really i didn't look at this ahead of time written directed and starring mike farrell well really? there you go Yay. that explains why bj is a centerpiece yeah. they like to write about themselves <laughs> gee who should i make the star Oh, I can't me. think of anybody else. I'll do me. Let's uh, have Susan St. Jane fall in love with me. Aggie O'Shea is <laughs> based, speaking of, Aggie O'Shea is based on the real-life war correspondent, Marguerite Higgins. I didn't look that up ahead of time. Uh, look that up. Let us know what you think <laughs> of that. That. Uh, yeah. Guest stars recurring cast. Susan St. James as Aggie O'Shea. Brad Wilkin as Private Scott. Scotty. Calvin Levels as Private Jackson and Kelly Nakahara as Kelly. Anything else? No, yes. The production code is S624, so this was basically the last episode of the season. Since it's a 25 episode, there was one more. Written, directed, starring Mike Farrell. Original air date, March 3rd, 1980. Moving on. Back pay. Uh, episode 24, Back pay. <laughs> Super easy to do a synopsis here. Essentially, Hawkeye gets a uh, a clipping from a newspaper back home that in Minneapolis there's a guy doing X-rays for the army for um, them back in Minneapolis, making seven dollars an X-ray. He's make he's clearing something like three thousand dollars a week. But he's so busy, he complains in the article, that I've had to cancel my private practice and my golf game. And Hawkeye is just beside himself about, they're getting rich, and I'm working for peanuts. I'm working 30-hour days. And they're getting paid by the same government. Yeah, same people. And so he decides he's going to get back pay. And so he tr- he tries to build the army, and it doesn't go well. And he did figure out what he they actually owed him. He counted up his surgeries. He figured out the amount of x-rays he did. And, and he actually charged less than this other guy. But, yeah, that's part of it is that uh, we see 
Captain Bill Snyder come in uh, thinking to bring up charges on Hawkeye or not. He doesn't, but it's it's interesting to watch. Hawkeye doesn't get his back pay. He makes like four bucks and then spends it on a two dollar uh, bar tab. But but it was it was his. He said four dollars for a pound of flesh. And then uh, the B storyline is we have these three Korean surgeons come They're in to observe. Mo. Yeah, Jin Woo and Po. Uh, they come in to observe at the four double seventh. Uh, Potter assigns them to Winchester. Winchester is their thoracic guy. They want to observe about the chest. And uh, Winchester also has some instruction time. So it's Winchester. Uh, Winchester is being very snotty to them. You know, that, that Eastern medicine, that stuff, that hokey pokey, that voodoo. The voodoo uh, that you... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That voodoo that you do. Yeah. Actually, I'm just going to make one small correction. It wasn't Colonel Potter who assigned him... Because Hawkeye said, I'm the chief surgeon. <laughs> I get to sign who does the chest work. Fair, fair point. And since Charles is so upset about you assigning him, I'm going to assign Charles to it. <laughs> so, fair point. It was actually Hawkeye. Just thought I would point out that assigned Charles you, to You're him. right. Okay. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you don't get to assign them. I do. Charles. I'd love to hear those words. You are right. <laughs> yeah, talk to my wife. So does she. <laughs> she hears them a lot. Um, but then at the end of the episode, uh, throughout the episode, Charles' back is really getting to him, which I understand. Uh, everybody at the camp has these Western medicine sides. Uh, uh, pardon Mixed me, Western olive yeah. oil and yeah. twisting. Yeah, and Charles like, get away from me. And then finally, uh, Potter learns that they're getting more casualties and they need to get him up and moving. And the Koreans say, we have a way to fix this. It's acupuncture, and Charles is just aghast at this. <laughs> You're going to stab me with what? And actually, they kept telling Charles throughout this whole thing, I can fix it, I can fix it, I can fix it. And he yeah. was like, uh, get away no, from me. Thank you. You can burn your herbs somewhere else. You're getting that Charles thing down. I'm getting there. <laughs> Practice. Again, I can do a Kennedy if I want. I can't do a Winchester. That was good. I just, but, yeah. they're different. Um, um, I was a little surprised at how Margaret was, she kind of had almost this mom thing going on towards with Charles. him. With yeah. Charles. Like, she really wanted to fix it. And Charles just kept pushing her away and pushing her away. Like, mm -hmm. But she kept coming back. She tried to feed him. She tried to put hot Compress. compresses on What him. you need is moist heat. Yes. And then Klinger came in. What you need is olive oil. And pomegranates. Um, I'll make it into a poultice. <laughs> no. He needs moist heat. Then no, I'll warm it I up. what I need is rest, rest, rest. <laughs> yeah. Get out. And then Potter came in, as you were saying, and ordered him to let them do their acupuncture. And let the, the three gentlemen. The part I really like about that is early in the episode, when uh, before Hawkeye chimes in, when Potter's trying to assign these Koreans to Winchester, he says, Major, say okie dokie. Okie And so then later when Potter comes in and says, Major, we need those vertebrae vertical. 
You're going to let them treat you. But Colonel, I say okie dokie. Okie dokie. And Whoa. Then, and then they Which know. is one of the guys. Are you going to say it? Needles. <laughs> Big long needles, too. I don't know if you've ever Whoa. seen acupuncture needles. My sister gets it done. They are. They're like six inches long. Mm, yeah. Big and, yeah. <laughs> and Charles just, huh? So, woo, do the voodoo that, that you, you do, do so well. <laughs> um, during the episode, Charles calls them Larry, uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly a couple times. And, and then so at the end... Why. But first they ask, why do you call us Larry Curly? Like, playing dumb. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so, pretty sure they knew, because at the end, the one guy... There's only one who speaks English, and the other guy says something about Larry Curly, Moe, and the, the guy who speaks English translated and said, not bad for three stooges. Stooges. Because <laughs> they did fix his back. Immediately. Yeah. They said, get up. And he's like, no. Wait. And he got up and he was... And may I say, in a, in a relatively uncharacteristic Charles moment, he says, gentlemen, I apologize. Actually, I think that's a very Charles thing. Because when he's wrong, he admits he's wrong. When okay. he When okay. he, like, if he's right... We're all going to hear about it. But when mm. he's wrong, he usually is good about saying, okay, I... We we did have an episode just last week where he yeah. did that, too. Maybe? I think when he's wrong, he'll admit he's wrong, okay. but he just doesn't feel he's wrong very often. Okay. that I, that I With that addition, I can definitely agree. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind, I'm thinking of uh, the one where... He doesn't think... I, I think uh, it was The Light That Fades episode where uh, he stabbed the guy with curare which there was like no way that you could do that anyway but any um, you know he's talking to Pierce and going on about you know how I was goaded into this and this and that and the other thing and he's trying to off put the guilt off of himself and uh, Pierce calls him the biggest lock in Korea and he's just beside himself because finally he goaded Pierce into a into a response and he he was apologizing, but in a very left-handed way. way. But here, he just... He, right out, I I was wrong. Yeah. You fixed me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. And then they make the comment about not bad for three stooges. <laughs> um, I think I think that really summarizes the Charles piece, because I think that was, yeah, again, that, that, was, was... that was the B storyline. The A storyline was Hawkeye, where he calculated... Rizzo brought in all these x-rays. He went through all the patient files. And cal Hawkeye calculated that with a uh, with a discount on charges, the army owed him thirty eight thousand dollars, thirty eight thousand two hundred fifteen dollars and eleven cents. Which I, I think sounds pretty cheap, but I guess this was the fifties. This was the fifties. That's like a house. I mean, he had yeah. That's a house. A nice house back then. A nice house. Um. But, uh, you know, the the investigator comes, Snyder comes, and kind of off-puts it as, okay, I can see there's nothing here, whatever, I'm going to tear up your bill and go on. So then Hawkeye's still complaining about this in post-op with BJ. Winchester's there with the three Korean doctors, and uh, he says to BJ, okay, let's get another opinion. And he goes over to the Koreans and says, what would you do if somebody couldn't pay you? And they're talking. Chickens. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Dr. Wu says he take chicken. Yes! That's it! Pierce goes. I don't remember what Winchester said. Something about chicken, uh, pack, chicken scratch. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> okay, doesn't matter. Go okay. Ahead. But yeah, then Hawkeye decides that he's just going to start taking pieces of the camp as his own. And giving receipts in return. So he goes He goes to Motorpool, wakes up Rizzo. Captain, it's the daytime. Oh, it's night. It's time for me to sleep. Rizzo, you are in charge of this Motorpool, are you not? I is, sir. Then dismount that Jeep. Here is your receipt. <laughs> hey, you can't take that. Then he goes and tells on Hawkeye right to, to Colonel, Colonel Potter and he's he's playing just this I love Rizzo and how he does that. He's just he's twisting his hat in his hands and going, Sir, I was sure worried for my safety. He had that look in his eyes, this crazy look. I thought he was gonna kill me. <laughs> and then Hawkeye comes in, he's like, Oh no. No, he's his, sir. Rizzo, you're not in trouble. You can leave. Oh, thank you, sir. Bless was, your family. I think that he was concerned with being charged with the jeep. Yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, definitely. Char. It was in yeah. Just like the lieutenant from last week. Um, he's in charge. Rizzo is in charge of the motor pool. Right. Financially responsible for those jeeps. Um, but yeah, it, Pierce tries to take property, uh, possession of the jeep. Tells Colonel Potter, yeah, I did that. And Potter's like, fine, keep the Jeep for now. Maybe having a toy will make you happy. But know this, you have reached the limit of my patience. Uh, but then Pierce also went the extra yard and sent a receipt to Icor. <laughs> and so Snyder comes back and he's getting all huffy with and Pierce. In fact, he called him a hot. Headed, self This is a hot-headed, self-righteous, and full of nonsense. Yeah, and he starts uh, physically intimidating Hawkeye after his jeep gets stolen. We'll yeah. find out who did that in a bit. He was throwing chairs and I mean, you know, everything but physically touching him. But because, very intimidating. Because Pierce said, "Are you going to beat it out of me?" And he goes, "Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you?" No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that dumb. Where is it? But he's still he's still coming at him, and he kicks the bag of X-rays, <laughs> and then he can't walk on his foot, and so Hawkeye, you know, takes him, starts looking at the foot. Uh, they're they're in like the prep ward. Hawkeye takes a X-ray, and says, "All right, I'll tell you what, Snyder, I'll give you a package deal. One, I'll find out who swiped your jeep and get it back. Two, I'll drop all this." And three, I'll fix your foot. But you owe me $4 for the x-ray. And that's being kind. And that's, yeah, that's a discount that's from the discount. seven right. that the doctor in Minneapolis is charging. And so he gets the $4, and once he gets it, he says, by the way, your ankle's just sprained. We'll wrap it up and let you go. <laughs> $4 for a lousy x-ray, and it's sprained? And then in the old club afterwards, we find out it was BJ... Who stole the Jeep? I can't let you be an idiot by yourself. I love that. He also, BJ also makes a comment at some point about Hawkeye 
tilting at windmills, referencing Don Quixote. But I don't know that one. Yeah, Don Quixote. Uh, I haven't read it yet, which is sad. But tilting at windmills, just kind of going after uh, uh, something that's not really a, something worth going after. Okay. You know, he, okay. Don Quixote knight. Uh, he would. A he would. Right? He, well, yeah, and he would charge at windmills. As if they were monsters. Mm. Okay. So he was kind of having delusions of grandeur. And that's kind of what Pierce was doing. But he got his four dollars, and he then got he was happy. <laughs> he that's he made an amount that they were getting paid, and that's all yeah. he needed. He needed one person to acknowledge <laughs> that he, especially this guy, because yeah. he's such a jerk. Yeah, really is. But yeah, Pierce gets his four dollars, and again, he he's talking with. BJ in the Oak Club, and he says, Barkeep the tab. Two doubles, that'll be a buck twenty. Here's four dollars. Keep the tip. And that's the episode. Speaking of jerks, the next episode, do you want to tell about that one? Let's wrap up oh, this one first. Um, guest stars recurring cast Richard Hurd as Captain Bill Snyder, G.W. Bailey as Luther Rizzo, uh, Sab Shimono as Jin. Sherry Fukujawa as Wu and Peter Kim as Poe. So that was Larry Curly and Moe. <laughs> the production code for the episode was S625. So this was filmed the last. Writers credited for as uh, Thad Mumford, Dan Wilcox, and Dennis Koenig. Director Burt Metcalf. And this originally aired March 10th, 1980. Next episode April Fools. Which, again, like you said, pretty timely. We are, uh, as we record this, it's March 26th. This episode aired March 24th. So we're facing down the start of April. And uh, exactly what you would think from the title. The camp is going on an April Fool's spree because, Colonel, April Fool's is a holiday that can't be... Contained in just one day, <laughs> says Charles. Um, and it, it's just a rash of that. And the real plot point here, aside from everybody kind of... The, the doctors getting each other, including Margaret. She's included in all this. Um, uh, a guy shows up. Colonel Daniel uh, Webster Tucker of the 8th Army, uh, the Surgeon General. He comes into camp... Apparently he's quite... He's known for... Um, being picky. He's yeah. going to look through the files for Klinger and look at all of the surgical, how much time everything takes. and By the book. By every the book. rag, letter by, by letter, I's dotted, T's crossed, all the capitals in place. You better toe the line or else. And he... He is real stickler about it. We'll talk about how that ends up at the end of the episode. Laura, uh, at the end of this episode... Said it was her favorite of all episodes. Which which may seem odd when you start at this one, because you hate this guy. He is just... I mean, the staff... The 4077th staff can usually get on somebody's good side. They cannot get on his... Everything they did twisted him in a knot and made him even angrier. And yeah. He said things that I wanted to just pop him. 
Oh yeah, let's let's bring up some of those things. I mean, he's talking to the doctors like uh, in surgery. He's there observing, and uh, well, as, as, the, I'm sorry, the as Margaret, he came into camp though, oh he yeah, got a bad. I just think <laughs> he got a bad taste because Potter called them all in the doctors all into his office and said, "This guy's coming, and he is the dot your eyes kind of guy. Please, no more practical jokes, none." So they promised, as long as he's in camp, no more practical jokes. Mm-hmm. So um, Hawkeye kind of talked BJ and um, and Winchester into getting Margaret one more time because well, he's not in camp yet. And, and the best part about that, what you said about the previous episode, BJ had an idea that they took and ran with, but Hawkeye had to convince BJ to do it. It was BJ's idea. It was BJ's idea, yeah. But Hawkeye convinced him to actually do it. Let hold on though. Let's back up. Okay, back let's up back more. up. I'm sorry. I'm up. sorry to do this. I okay. hate I hate it when I do this on the podcast, but let's back up. So we're backing up from a backup. And aside from an aside. Um let's talk about some of the April Fool's things that we started with. They come out of surgery. They're they're at like their hooks on the wall, uh, in the scrub area. And BJ is unpacking this box, stuff from Peg. Hawkeye gets uh, brownies. Tibbs, Tibbs. Uh, Colonel Potter gets a. Peaches, it looks like. Yeah, like fruit cocktail. Mm-hmm. And um, then he pulls out a can of pralines, and Winchester just kind of Dibs. launches himself, grabs it, and then he twists it open. And it's a can of spring snakes. And I knew it from the can because that, <laughs> yeah, that I saw it coming. And he just, and then he goes, the true, uh, hold on, the true cruelty is that there are no pralines. <laughs> and he's just looking longingly into this empty can with like one of the 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 spring snakes over his shoulder. And one of my favorite when Potter says, oh. "Well, at least you're not doing anything to me," as he walks out and there's a tail. Pinned to the back of his pants. I'm sorry, but in that in that scene, my favorite is Margaret. You oh. hear her yelp from the other side of the curtain, rip them open, and go, "Who put these dead minnows in my pocket?" They weren't dead when I put them there. <laughs> you oh, killed them. <laughs> That was Winchester. I tried the Winchester thing. I won't I try it just, again. <laughs> and it was just at that moment where you okay, everybody's in on it. BJ's in on it. Mark. Winchester's in on it, Margaret's in on it, Hawkeye's in on it, but it seems like Potter isn't because he says, Count me out. out. I've seen it all before. And yeah, they. they uh, and he's actually angry about them doing yeah, it. They clamped a raccoon tail to his coat. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so. Now, so the colonel comes in. And they did this thing. They did this thing to Margaret's tent. What did they do to Margaret's tent? They took the tent away. So <laughs> the, the frame was still there. And all our stuff was still inside. But the tent canvas was, was gone. So you could just like see it. Mm-hmm. It was like you could see everything in her tent. What did you crumbs do to my tent, BJ? <laughs> we gave it to a dog. Now it's a pup tent. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> and so she's hitting them with a feather pillow and feathers are just going all over the place. And Colonel, full bird Colonel, Daniel Webster Tucker comes into camp at that particular moment. Mm. So he does not like these doctors to begin with. I'm here to observe the medical staff. Who are you people? And 
at that time, we're, we're of the medical course, staff. Um, 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 Clinger comes up, who decides that he's going to be full on army. Yeah. Because he talked he, to Rizzo. He talked to Rizzo, and Rizzo convinced him. If you want something, you have to act the opposite. Yeah. So he wants to get out of the army. He's going to become regular army in mm. in an intense way. And that way, the army always does the opposite. So yeah. if he's total army, he will get out. Mm. Yeah, he, he said to Rizzo, I'm going to be the perfect soldier. And then pull the old switcheroo. Right. So he walks up, clears everything Here's your tent. This is ready. I have your coffee in the morning. I have your newspaper on your bed. I have... And so your favorite lo- drink, a shot and a beer. So everything is like all laid out for this mm-hmm. um, gentleman. And he's loving Klinger and hating the doctor. So that's... Yeah. Okay, now go on with your... Yeah. So yeah, they, they come in and uh, the colonel says, This is disgraceful. <laughs> You're right. They just don't make feather pillows like they used to anymore. <laughs> And uh, from then on, like you said, they're just, nope. Don't. He doesn't like them. They're in OR. So now we go back to where we were before the digression. Before the digression that we regressed to and we've regressed, and again. regressed again. So we're, we're back. Gave it to the dog. Now it's a pup tent. I'm yeah. Right. It's um, <laughs> they're in OR. I just read it again. The, the colonel <laughs> is observing. And uh, BJ and Winchester are operating on a patient. And uh, BJ says, great job, Charles. And Charles is like, yes, it was, wasn't it? And BJ says, don't you think so, Colonel Snyder? And he just goes, isn't saving lives kind of the idea? And Yeah, and then um, there were a few other snide comments in there about just do your job. Then he's in post-op and he's checking up on a patient. And he's... You know, he's about to do a diagnosis, and Hawkeye just comes over and says, Pardon me, Colonel, this is my patient. How can I help you? And then he starts going off on the medical staff about, you know, you need to act more professional. I saw what you were doing last night. That is not it. And then Margaret tries to support him, and he says, Don't patronize me. I don't need the support of a woman. I hardly need the support of a woman. That's <laughs> when I was going to pop a boy. Yeah, and you just... And even, you know, Margaret was just... <gasps> you... How? <laughs> like they all look like how dare you say that mm. and then he's like I'm going to put you all in report well, for glo- gross well, insubordination oh, hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on, okay. hold on, hold on. we're going to hold on again hold on because they're in post-op and Hawkeye just says tell you what let's take this outside <laughs> yeah so the whole staff the, the captains and the majors step outside with Snyder and then they start having words and that's when Snyder, because you know they're trying to give him some. Come on, you can't just stay serious all the time. And he says, "Oh, yes. you're funny people, huh? Well, how about this? You are on report for gross insubordination, conduct on becoming an officer, and anything else I can think of." Let's I'm see barring you, laugh. you from all medical services, which I thought was funny, because yeah. they're gonna bar him from their job because who yes. would do it? They can't they will get enough find, people now. They will, well, they will find somebody else, and likely they would be put online. Okay. Like, up on the line. So, uh, Winchester did say that he does not want his address changed to Leavenworth, because ah, it's oh, in heavens. Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. If not I have because of yeah. Leavenworth, but because it's in yeah. Kansas. So, yeah. 
Tucker's gonna, or Snyder's gonna put them all up on charges. Let's see you laugh that off. Okay, well, so two things. Before we get back to seeing the doctors again, uh, Snyder walks into the company clerk's office. And there's Klinger. <laughs> and a Ferris, like a pharaoh in a Ferris outfit. And he's Metal just, bra. Yeah, he's just acting like nothing's wrong. And Snyder goes, Thank Is there going to be a costume party later? I hope not, sir. I have nothing to wear. As he looks down at what he's wearing. And then he's like, They've got to you. They've got to you. Hmm. They did this to you, the doctors, of yeah. course. Yeah. And uh, Potter comes in. You're not buying this, are you, Snyder? Can't you see, Colonel? This man is ill. <laughs> Hail Caesar! <laughs> you know, last week he was Snow White. <laughs> and then they go into Colonel Potter's office to talk about the Klinger situation. We transition back to the swamp. Hawkeye makes this very philosophical comment. There is not one more free than one with nothing left to lose. If we're going down, we might as well let the punishment fit the crime. So they have this idea that they're going to get Snyder. If he's going to if he's going to court-martial him anyway, let's, let's let's April fool joke get out of him. So, they're in the O club. Rizzo's passed out on a table, which is convenient because they need that particular table saved anyway. Um, the the captains and the majors are at the bar. Snyder comes in with Colonel Potter. Uh, Hawkeye goes over. BJ calls. Well, first they move Rizzo before the colonels get there. <laughs> it's another Rizzo moment where it's like, "Is it supper time?" <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, good. I could use a break. He was passed out on the table. I could use a break. I can't do Creole very well, but so that's what Rizzo is. Yeah, <laughs> he just moved and he passes out with a lieutenant. Um, but then BJ calls Colonel Potter over. Colonel, you need to see this. What is it? Snyder's number. It just came up. <laughs> what? I ordered a shot and a beer. Where's the, he, where's the beer? And Hawkeye says, "It's on you, Colonel." And he pulls the rope, and a whole pail full of beer just dumps on top of him. And he and just then he. Yeah, he gets up, just, you, you people, you, and he just falls over and, oh my gosh, I was so scared for him. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all trying to help, and Potter's like, you jackasses, you get away from him, haven't you done enough? And, he, you know, they're asking for a, a crash kit and an adrenaline needle and all this, and they're trying to pat his head, and, and he's on the floor, and they're all around him, and he, he's, here's... Yes. I'm here, I'm here. What is what it? Is I can't hear you, sir. Come on, they're trying to he's trying to say something to Pierce. April Fools. What? <laughs> you got you. <laughs> Potter and him have set the whole thing up from the beginning. Oh my god. It was just So Potter, who wanted nothing to do with any April <laughs> Fools joke, set this up. Weeks ago, no. <laughs> Sherman and I have been doing this for three wars. <laughs> and, and Hawkeye just goes, fellow jokers, we are in the presence of, of greatness. greatness. <laughs> so it was one fake April Fool's joke, which and, was great. And now, something I said at the outset of watching this episode was, 
I'm going to watch this with a whole different perspective because you and Laura were watching this. Not I did not know. Yes. You, you didn't remember how it ended and Laura hasn't seen it. I watched this going, oh my God, Harry Morgan, one of two things. Either he has to act while acting. He has to act like he doesn't know where this is going while acting like Sharon Potter. Or they didn't let anybody in on how this turns out. I don't know which way it is because... As an actor, I probably would have preferred that to um, not know. To not know, because then I could have just acted like I wasn't part of it, and it would have worked perfectly. Oh my goodness! But it was just Harry Morgan did a great job of not knowing whether right. that was because it was kept from him or he acted like he didn't know how it was going to turn out. He did great. He acted like. It really was somebody from the Inspector General coming, and they were going to just get torn a new one. It was great. Um, just uh, uh, watching Snyder come in, I don't know what Snyder's rank actually would have been. Uh, or Tucker's I... rank? Tucker. Colonel Daniel Webster Tucker. I know they say Colonel, but I don't know yeah. if he actually was or if he was just playing a Colonel for Colonel Potter's yeah, I part in this. Uh but it was great. It just to see that whip around. It is a great episode. Again, it's not in my top ten. Yeah, it wasn't mine either. So when Laura said, "This is my favorite episode ever," I really think after this, all three of us are going to have to get a top ten list. Top going. ten, I think so too. But it, you really should see and this, this episode. Probably wouldn't be in mine, but it was fun to watch. And if you can watch it while forgetting what we've said about it <laughs> you know actively forget how it ends so you can be surprised by that at the end i think i think it's great um at the end the post-commercial scene they're all sitting at the bar having a drink together laughing about it and uh i think potter says something to the effect of and that loony thinks that he's getting a section eight and going home and then po uh, uh not potter i just said potter clinger okay. comes into the old club and says Come on, Colonel, what's the holdup? I want to go home go and see, see my mummy. Still in the Cleopatra outfit. Which, apparently, by the way, uh, was uh, was a reference to Claudette Colbert in the 1934 film Cleopatra. Do you want to go home and see your mommy? No, to oh. the, the Cleopatra oh, okay. out, uh, get up. So. I thought you meant the lines. No. Like, okay. Oh, no, that's interesting. I'm looking at the MASH wiki now. Uh, in Season 4, Change of Command, Potter tells Hawkeye and BJ that he served in Guam during World War II, where he kept a still. That was in the summer of 1944. He also claims to have been in the Battle of the Bulge in December, 1940, in December 1944. Different armies, different theaters of war. Uh, I'm just going to, in my own mind, retcon that Potter was in the European theater. Uh, one giveaway that it's a prank is when Tucker seems to fall for Klinger's scam of first being a model soldier and then breaking under pressure. Something anyone familiar with Klinger's failed tricks would never fall for. Uh, another thing, if this had really been following the correct timeline, this would be April 1953, and the Korean War ended in July 1953. Also, in real life, if Hawkeye, under the pressures of war and alcohol addiction, were to suddenly have been had such a bad reaction under the stress and strain of military discipline for a week, 
he would probably have been the one to receive a Section 8. <laughs> How fast can you look things up? Do they have Converse shoes yet? I mean, oh, that, yeah. that's just been bothering me. Oh, because, that's, um, that um, was from the Aggie yeah, O'Shea. Yeah, BJ was wearing um, Converse tennies, and I really thought that Converse started like in the 60s, but I what? could be mistaken. Let's uh, look up Wikipedia. Chuck Taylor All-Stars or Converse All-Stars uh, is a brand name for a pair of casual shoes developed and produced by Converse, which has been a subsidiary of Nike Inc. since 2003. So they've been a subsidiary. That doesn't mean that they came out then. History. Converse Rubber, oh, Shoe, Rubber Shoe Company was created in 1908. In Malden, Massachusetts, in 1917, the company designed the forerunner of the modern All-Star, marketed under the name Non-Skids. In 1929, American baseball basketball player Chuck Charles Chuck Taylor joined a basketball team sponsored by the Converse Company called the Converse All-Stars. Taylor held basketball clinics in high schools all over the country, and while teaching the fundamentals of the game, he sold the All-Star shoes. Okay. So they were so around. They were around. They All were right. around. Sorry, just let me check. Whether or not the pair that BJ was wearing was around, <laughs> that's probably debatable. But they did have that circle all star thing on, so. Well, okay. It was not until 1949 that Converse decided to make the toe guard laces and outer wraps white, which gave the appearance of the iconic black and white Converse all stars of today. There you go. So it's possible that the ones that BJ was wearing in the War Correspondent episode were real Converse. Yeah, it's possible. Always oh. trying to catch them in something. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is not an occasion where we caught them using in a, uh, a Marvel Avengers issue of <laughs> comics from the 1970s. See, Chris notices all that stuff. So one of these days, I'm going to find something. I don't know what, but everything you find seems to be okay. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Okay, ask what. Uh, so, <laughs> guest stars recurring cast. We had Pat Higgle as Colonel Daniel Webster Tucker. Uh, G.W. Bailey reprising his role as Luther Rizzo. Roy Goldman as Private Roy Goldman. He was bartending, and Jennifer Davis as one of the nurses. Honors. A nurse. Not sure which one it doesn't mention. <laughs> nurse. She was she, she, yeah, exactly. Which nurse? That one. one. Uh production code was S six twenty three. Writer was Dennis Koenig. Director Charles S. Dubin. It originally aired March twenty fourth, nineteen eighty, as I said. Uh this was a long episode. We'll just wrap it up really quick. Thank you for sticking with us. This ends uh, season mm -hmm. 8 so next week you'll join us you will join us <laughs> like it or not and uh, we'll be starting with season 9 keep in mind MASH ran 11 seasons also keep in mind the Korean War lasted 3 years so <laughs> you know there's that um, but we're doing all 11 seasons in 3 years maybe that's true but the, just pointing out, the show lasted longer than the war. We will get through a three season, uh, 11 seasons in three years. Do <laughs> two a week. Uh, except for this week. And a couple of where we've done three. Anyway, okay. thank you for tuning in. 
Uh, if this is your first time, thank you. If this is if you're a repeat listener, thank you very much. If you're a first time listener and you want to cup, catch up on back episodes, you can do that by looking uh, by by looking us up on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. Just search for Whiskey and Mash. You can also do that over on Stitcher Radio. Otherwise, you can head over to our website narclaninc.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Go to the whis- go pardon me. Go to the podcast link. Go to the Whiskey and Mash page. There on the page. Uh, there, we, we have a JavaScript thing running for any of you technically minded that just grabs uh, an XML and runs through and populates the page with all of the episodes we have up there. So if you see an episode up there, it's live. What that means is all of our episodes are linked on the web page. You can download them as an MP3 or stream them from the web page. Either way works. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to us this week, and you want to help support the podcast, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast, this episode, any of our episodes with a, f- a family member, a friend, a coworker, whatever. Just help us grow our listener base. That's the best way for you to support us at this point in time. Uh, also, um, you can connect with us by going over to that web page and then click on the Facebook link, which will f- take you to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash whiskeyandmash. Like our page so you can stay current with all of our episodes as they release. I always try and copy over the description and the link to the MP3 on our site over to the Facebook page. Uh, also, you can email us here at the podcast if you'd like to uh, ask a question, make a correction. You can also do that on the episode over on the Facebook page. In addition... If you actually want to watch the episodes that we are watching, it's no longer on Netflix, but you can find MASH. Uh, You can buy individual seasons, or you can buy the whole series, including uh, the the movie that kicked it all off. You can find that on Amazon. The last I checked, the whole thing, you can get all those for about 120 bucks. That's ten dollars, uh, basically per season, and then ten dollars for the movie. That's really not bad, overall. Otherwise, you can uh, catch Mash on TV Land and uh, AMC and you know. TBS. I saw it on TBS. Okay, so you know you can find them over there. Uh, just you know, set up your DVR or watch them live, and then you can. Uh, we always try to list the episodes we're reviewing, and we certainly. Uh, let you know what we're reviewing at the top of the podcast so that you could watch those and then find the podcast and follow along with us. Let us know what you think. That would be great too. Let us know that you're out there, that you're listening, that we have an audience because we're not sure if we're just doing this for ourselves. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm learning how to act sad from my daughter. (laughs) She's good at it. She is. Uh, But Thank you for tuning in. We would do this without an audience, but we appreciate knowing that there are people out there. So let us know. Yeah, let us know that you're out there. Let us know. And Hawkeye, call us. <laughs> Alan Alda, uh, Mike Farrell, anybody. We would love. Kelly Nakahara? We would love to get you on. Call us. Uh, also, <laughs> a, a programming note coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We will be taking a break from actually watching, and we will be playing uh, a couple of. Uh, sessions of Mashed. That is a, a role-playing game where we will be. I will be the commanding officer, and then uh, Gloria and Laura 
and uh, your your brother will be all taking uh, characters out of a fictional mash, uh, the 8099th, still part of Icor, and we'll be role-playing just through a couple of sessions of that, and I think that'll be interesting. It's a Powered by the Apocalypse game, that's the system that it's run in. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, nervous about it. <laughs> it should be fun. Uh, we'll record those, we'll put them up here. I think it'll be fun to listen to. And we're going to do our best to have dice trace so that you don't get a lot of dice rolling <laughs> in the audio. Uh, but, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in week after week. Share this. Let us know if you're out there. I'm Chris. I'm Gloria. Have a good week, everyone. What great week. Mm. Did everyone turn in their personalities? Uh, I haven't heard from Tom yet. But okay, I know. I'm, He's having a crazy week. Yeah, well... What he said, yeah, that's why I'm not. He'll get to me when he can. I'll, I'll Facebook him again today and remind him. But yeah, I know. A couple of weeks, yeah, psychiatrist. Yeah, female uh, permanent. Yeah, yeah. And then Laura was talking about surgery. Well, after I read that, I, I think that's it. No, I think I'll be fine. Uh, chapters one through three. Yeah. Yep. Have a great week, everyone. Have a great week. I'm gonna go call Jordan.